Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Hello, everybody. Well, if you're, it's your first time with us, uh, we hope it's not your last time. I'm Jim Del Campo. I'm the senior pastor here, and I just want to share with you a little bit of following up our kids' great presentation on the birth of Jesus Christ. So we're beginning a, a new series today uh, called The Light of the World. Today I'm going to talk about the birth. Then we're going to take a break next Sunday, and for you new beginnings people, we're going to look at how many great things God did through our fellowship here this year, and then we're going to look at some things we're going to do in 2022. So it's going to be a very unique Sunday next week, and we hope you join us on that one. But then I'll pick up the series again on the 19th of December, and I'll talk about the sign. The sign that was given to the shepherds that night. And then on Christmas Eve, a four o'clock service right here, we're going to look at um, the reason, the reason why Jesus did come to earth, this God-man. And then I think I'm going to add one more on the 26th, looking at the aftermath of the birth of Christ in the Christmas story itself from the Gospels. But today I want to begin with the birth of Jesus Christ in the short time that I do have you today. And I want to begin with something that Isaiah, a prophet in the Old Testament, said 700 years before the God-man, Jesus, ever comes on the scene to save us from our sins. And Isaiah says this in Isaiah 9-2. He says, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Now, I want you to keep that statement there. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Just keep that in the back of your mind because it will play again towards the end of what I want to share with you today. Now, Isaiah defines what this great light is in that very same chapter 700 years ago. In verse 6, he says this. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. So now we know the great light is a human, it's a son, but he goes on. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God. So now we see this person is an actual human, but they're also God. It's the God-man Jesus Christ. We know him to come. He is the light of the world. Now, Jesus would affirm that to us when Jesus comes on the scene in the flesh. Jesus always existed. He's God. But he comes in the flesh to save us from our sins seven years later after the prophecy. And in the Gospel of John in the New Testament, 8.12, Jesus says this. Then Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. There it is. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So now Jesus affirms that he is the light. This light that John the Baptist, I'm sorry, that Isaiah said, the people who walk in darkness will see the great light. And that light came on the scene around 2,000 years ago in the birth of our Messiah and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I want to talk to you on a couple issues about that this morning, kicking off this series. Two things in particular. The first one is this. Who Jesus is and where he is born 
really does matter. It does matter. Now I'm going to read to you from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, and it says this. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. That's the Roman Empire. Caesar Augustus, or the Roman Empire, would take a census every 14 years for taxation and for military purposes. Verse 2 says, this was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census. So everybody's got to go to register for the census. Each to his own city, or meaning the city of their ancestors. Joseph, who's the uh, legal father of Jesus, also went up from Galilee, that's in the north of Israel, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, which is the south, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. So Joseph's ancestors come from Bethlehem because that's where David, King David was a thousand years earlier when David walked this world. And these are the ancestors now, Joseph being one of them. Because he was of the house and the family of David. That's an important statement. Verse 5. In order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. Verse 6. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. Now, in that statement there, we find that Joseph and Mary, Mary's carrying the child Jesus, they live in the north in Nazareth, and they must travel to the south. And they've got to go to the city of Joseph's ancestors, which is, he's from the family of David. David was a king a thousand years earlier to register in this census in Bethlehem. But the key thing is that this child would be of the lineage of King David. Some of the prophecies stated that the Messiah has to be and will be from the line of David. So my first question that I would think about is, how does an unborn child pull off the ability to be born first in the right lineage to be the Messiah from the line of David? How does he pull something like that off? I'll tell you what, hold that thought. Let me drill down a little further on that. Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, they live in Nazareth. Well, Nazareth is an interesting city that where Jesus will eventually grow up at, but Nazareth is where the ancestors of, or the descendants of David would come and they would settle. Now, Nazareth comes from the word netzer. Netzer means a branch or a shoot off the tree stump. Now, you take that idea right there in this place where they're from, putting it all together, Isaiah once again, 700 years earlier, says this in chapter 11, verse 1. Then a shoot will spring forth from the stem of Jesse and a branch, say branch, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. Now Jesse is the father of King David. And he says there's going to be a branch come from him. They know this to be the Messiah. And so when the descendants settled in Nazareth area, Netzer, Netzer means branch or branch town. They went there and they knew there would be a branch coming from this particular family. Now you think about all that. And so Jesus, an unborn person, how does he pull these things off? But it gets even, even bigger than that. Because not only is it who he is, family of David, it's where he's going to be born, right? Because that's a big deal too. Well, Micah, 700 years earlier, in Micah 5.2, an Old Testament prophet says this. 
about the Messiah. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Ephrathah is the ancient name of Bethlehem, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be the ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Now we find it was prophesied 700 years before Jesus ever shows up on the scene in the flesh. 700 years earlier, we find that Micah says, he will be born in this city of David in Bethlehem. That's amazing because not only the Messiah has to be from the line of David, which he is through Joseph, but he has to be born in the city of David in Bethlehem. Once again, how does an unborn person pull that off to be not only from the line lineage he has to be, to be the Messiah, and to be born in the city to fulfill the prophecies? That's incredible to me as I think about that. Did you know? Did you know that Jesus himself fulfills 332 Old Testament prophecies specifically. Did you know that? How in the world does an unborn person come and then fulfill all these things, come on the scene like that? How does he do that? Well, the only way he can do that is God. And let me tell you why that comforts me very much as a follower of Christ. And I wasn't always a follower of Christ. I didn't grow up as a Christian. I didn't want to be a Christian. I didn't like Christians. I thought Christians were weird. But then I gave my life to Christ. And as I found out more and more about God and looking at these things, how God can do these things, you realize something, follower of Christ. And that's this. I was reading where a chess master, they think three to seven moves ahead. These are the best of the best. Now, when I play chess, I'm thinking about a move in one quarter ahead, man. I can't get any farther than that. But they can go three to seven moves ahead. And that's pretty good. But if you think about God as a follower of Christ and how he's moving all the chess pieces to get Jesus to be born from the right lineage in the right place and to fill 332 prophecies, you understand something. And that is that God has complete control of your life. Any amens on that? He's got complete control of your life. Let me tell you what that means. That means that like you and I were on this big cruise ship and the cruise ship's going to Hawaii. How many like that one already? But Hawaii, let's say, is heaven, okay? And on that cruise ship, you have a lot of decisions to make, like, are you going to eat at the buffet? Are you going to get pizza brought to your room at 12? You're going to go by the hamburger place every five minutes and get another hamburger? Because you know you paid for it, right? You know, what are your decisions you're going to do? If you've been on a cruise ship, you know that, right? How many came back from a cruise and you gained 7 to 10 pounds? Anybody know what I mean? Isn't that awful? But while you're doing it, isn't it great? But on that ship, you're making all these decisions on there, but the ship's going to get to heaven. That's your life in Christ. God gives you free will, but he's going to get you to heaven. You put your faith in Jesus, and you're trying your best to make the right decisions according to the word of God. And how many know as Christians, sometimes you make the wrong ones? But guess what? Our loving God is so great and he sees farther than three to seven moves because he lives outside of the time continuum because he created space, time, and matter. He sees our past, our present, and our future. Does he not? And he can adjust and make movements to get dumb Jim Del Campo back on course again. And sometimes there are really tough movements he makes to get me to make the right decisions again. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But I, that's what I know about God that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. He can take all my blunders, all my mistakes and correct me and move me and shape me to get me back on track. I'm always going to heaven because I believe in Christ, but he's going to try to get me to live my best life right now. Any amens on that? 
because he sees it all, puts it all together. That's what I like about the fact that an unborn Jesus Christ, before he comes on the scene in the flesh, he can maneuver all the pieces further than three to seven moves ahead. He's looking a million moves ahead. Any amens on that? And that's what he does in our life. If you want to follow Jesus Christ, that's what he does because he loves us so much. So the who and the where really matter. But not just the who and the where. Point two is this. The conditions surrounding Jesus' birth really matter. Not just the who and the where, but, but the conditions. What are the conditions? Well, let, let's think about this. Hmm. Mary and Joseph have to travel 80 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Now, if you're my age, you'll understand what I'm going to say. Now, if you're not, you're not going to get it. I don't have some big 1960s with wood paneling on the side station wagon to drive to the south. Anybody remember those? What, four of us? My parents had a big old 67 Capri station wagon with the man. Anybody remember those? It's like driving a boat on land. Oh, they don't have an SUV. They don't have a minivan. And she's ready to pop. I'm watching my daughter-in-law, Lindsay, right now. She's going to have the, the boy next month. Remember, hopefully it's Jimmy. They name him, hopefully that. <laughs> and it's going to be Nathan, I'm sure. But I will look at her today. She walks like this now. She's ready to pop, you know. And you got to think, Mary was even worse than that. And she's traveling. She's not in a minivan. I'm sure she don't want to go and make that, that, that travel right there. But she got to do it because that's where the ancestors of his husband, Joseph, are. This is where the Messiah must be born. And God's maneuvering all the pieces because Augustus called for the census and God's even maneuvering the king's hand. Any amens? And so they get down there. And when they get there, now, I know it says there was no room in the inn like they're looking for the Bellagio or something. Get that out of your head, okay? No. That's not what it means. It means they're, they're coming to relatives' homes in Bethlehem and the city is swelled up with so many people because it's mandatory. You must go register in the census in the Roman Empire. But when they get there, too many relatives are already there. All the relatives' homes are filled up. There's nowhere for her to stay. And she's ready to pop. She's ready to pop with that child. And so she has to end up in some kind of a cave or back dwelling where people kept their animals. And it's in that place right there, in this cold, dark, because we know it's dark because the angels appeared to the shepherds by night announcing the birth of the Messiah. It's cold, it's dark. You think it stinks in there? You think those animals have dropped, you know what, on the ground? You think they've urinated? Oh, you better believe it. Have you, you've got some of your Nurgle people, have you ever watched an animal urinate? The big ones, they go on for a long time, don't they? I mean, I remember having the living nativity and that donkey starts urinating and you're saying, would you stop? I mean, it just keeps going, you know? And so it's a stinky, cold, dark, unsanitary place. You think Mary said, hey, this is the place I really want to give birth. There's no way, but she gives birth there. It's the only place she can go. And she takes a baby, wraps him in strips of cloth, and that was done to keep, make sure the legs stay strong at birth. But it was also a picture of Jesus would come to die for mankind because at his death, they will wrap him in strips of cloth. And she lays him in the manger. That's an animal feeding trough, unsanitary. You think she planned on that? She goes, oh, great, a crib. No, no. But that's where the Messiah is born. But let me tell you the picture of what I think is being painted here. 
It's dark in that cave. It stinks in that cave. It's cold in that cave. It's unsanitary. Jesus one day would say, out of the human heart comes forth all sin. And he names all the sins. Let's be honest, friend. I'll be honest. We all know our hearts are just filled with enough evil thoughts, right? Right? It's interesting to me that some people say, and I understand the question, why doesn't God do something about the evil out there? Because God came to do something about the evil in here. See, we always point to everybody else's evil. But what about the evil in here? So when Jesus was born in that cave, stinky, smelly, dark, cold, it's a picture of the human heart. Jesus seeks to be born in our hearts. That's why Isaiah said, the people that walk in darkness... And that's every person before Jesus Christ came. We'll see a great light. And in that dark place, the light of the world is born. And in this dark place, the light of the world wants to be reborn in us and save us. That's why he came. He came looking for you. That's the love of God. He came to save you came to save me from my sins and this morning yeah it was a kids play yeah it was great and we enjoy it don't we and don't we love it when they forget their lines <laughs> it's like the best huh it's like yes you know and don't we love it because they have an experience in God that they will carry with them so hopefully they will continue to walk with God and be the next generation of leaders any amen yeah that's what we want that's one of the reasons we do this. But they presented a message. The coming Messiah who came, was born, came to save us from ourselves and our sins. Satan. And he wants to be born in your heart. And it's our hope and it's their hope and everything was put together for this moment. That if you're not a follower of Christ, if you never place your faith in Jesus, then maybe today's the day. And by the way, if you're thinking, wait a minute, I believe all I have to do is be a good person to make it. Okay, good people do good deeds. That's right, preacher. I ask this all the time of people. How many good deeds is enough? Tell me how many is enough. If you can tell me enough, 700, once I hit 700, I can stop doing good deeds. I've made it to heaven or whatever your concept is, right? The answer is no answer to that question because good deeds don't save anyone. Because good deeds, which are good, they do not wash away sin and sins in our hearts and in our actions. Only the blood of Jesus could do that. Only the blood of Jesus. And that's why he came, not to stay a baby, not to just have a nice manger scene at the home. He grew up and he went to a cross and he came to die for our sins. Remember? He's wrapped in strips of cloth. He is a signifying He's going to die and be wrapped in strips of cloth later. That's where they would do with dead bodies. 
And he came and he died for you. And he shed his blood for you and me to forgive our sins. And if you've never placed your faith in Christ, or maybe you backslid and you realize, I got to get back to Jesus Christ. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. I'm going to give you that opportunity now. They did all this just for that. They did all this just for that. And trust me, the leaders putting this play together, I came for practice Thursday night. It's like herding cats, my friends, okay? <laughs> it's like, oh man, I'm glad I'm not a children's minister. It's tough enough with adults, but this guy, oh my gosh. They did it for you. And if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, and you know you need to today, make him your God, your only God. Surrender your life to him. I'm not, I can't play games. The older I get, I can't play it. You're gonna surrender your life to Jesus. He will be the Lord of your life now. The Bible will govern your life. That's what I'm teaching you right now. That's what it says. When Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. When Jesus uses the word believe, it means to dive all the way in, two feet first, you're surrendering your whole life. That's what the word means. You're trusting him with everything. That's Jesus' words, not mine. So if you'd like to place your faith in Jesus, become a follower of Christ today, awesome. Whether it's your first time forever or you're gonna rededicate your life. So with that said, I want you all to close your eyes. I'm gonna say this prayer. I want every Christian here to repeat it out loud after me. And those of you who say, I'm gonna put my faith in Jesus today as my Lord, Savior, God. I wanna rededicate my life today. I want you to say it with us. At home watching on TV or on your phones or whatever you're watching on, say it with us. But man, this is your moment where life changes, where God through the Spirit of God can come and dwell in you now. Here we go. Repeat after me. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me so much that you would die for me. Shed your blood to forgive me of my sins. Forgive me, Lord, of all my sins. Thank you for your forgiveness. Come dwell in me. Today I choose to follow you as my only God. I surrender my life. I give it to you. Thank you for saving me. Now let me pray. God, I pray for anyone and everyone who prayed that prayer for the first time or in rededication. I pray for you, friend, because now is a very important next couple of steps. You surrendered to Jesus Christ, God, the God-man, God in the flesh. You need to get around Christians. You need to get a Bible. If you don't have one, we have them in the lobby at the, at the Welcome Center. Just stay in the New Testament and ask the Christians to guide you on that. You need to get into church. If you're from out of town, find a church where they teach the Bible. That's the guidebook. You're going to now be tempted to go back to old lifestyles, but now you have the Spirit of God in you. You can walk a new life. You've got to learn about this Jesus you're following. He will make your life better. I guarantee it. As you surrender and follow Him. And remember now that your name is recorded in heaven. It's there because of your faith in Jesus. Share with your friends what happened. 
Invite them to church. God, I thank you today. We know that all of heaven rejoices over anyone who repents and comes to God. Thank you, Father, for today. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, Amen, amen and amen. Praise the Lord. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.